0: And of course, you know, my absolute favorite part was
1: (laughs) just in time, man.
0: (sighs) It was not the dog.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the Geek and Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gabauer,
0: And I'm Greg Lambert. Well, Marlene, I think we're finally close enough now that that I feel comfortable saying that I think both of us are going to be at Legal Week in New York in a couple of weeks. And for me, it's—I know it's going to be my first plane trip since I think March of 2020. So wow. you know, I've I've lost every bit of my Southwest Rewards uh, uh, status. So I'm going to be oh. in in the C group.
1: <laughs> That's a bummer. That's a bummer. It's like well. I have been on a plane a few times since March 2020, and I can tell you flying is no reward lately, yeah. but uh, I'm very happy and very grateful to be headed to Legal Week and to the Big Apple, yeah, so fingers crossed.
0: It's going to be nice, it's going to be nice. So um, speaking of nice, the, uh, the, the nice folks at ALM have set aside an area... Uh, on the third floor there at Legal Week for uh, podcast recording. So, uh, you know, we may grab some people as we walk walk the hallways there. And, hey, uh, you.
2: Want to be some, in a podcast?
0: Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I'll, I'll wear my – let me tell you about my podcast uh, T-shirt. So. I'll,
1: I'll wear my subversive radio host jacket. There we go. Uh, denim jacket.
0: <laughs> so if you see us, either come up to us if you want to do an interview or run from us if you don't. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm really excited that we have that space. So that's going to be good.
0: Uh, well, the guest this week is Lucy Bassley from Law Group. And, uh, you know, we have a, a really wonderful conversation with her ranging from her work guiding in-house and outside council interactions. And, uh, you know, we even got to, to morph a Kenny Chesney song along the way about how contracts are sexy. So I, th- <laughs> I think people will want to hang around for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, we definitely had range on this one. <laughs> so, so stick around for that. But now let's get to this week's information inspirations. The Debt Relief Clinic has been named the 2022 recipient of the Lewis M. Brown Award for Legal Access. The award is presented by the ABA to those who further the organization's mission to expand access to legal services in ways that are remarkable and able to be replicated. The clinic was developed by Tennessee Bar Association's Young Legal Division, Legal Aid of East Tennessee, and U.S. Bankruptcy Judge Suzanne Bauknight. The virtual clinic is reported to serve clients in the Eastern District of Tennessee. These clients comprise up to 200% of the federal poverty level. The clinic has 20 volunteer attorneys assisting 37 clients. Clients are provided with an overview of bankruptcy law and personal legal advice via private Zoom rooms. Attorneys often offer pro bono or reduced fee bankruptcy representation. Their work also helps to generate income for lawyers who offer affordable services. The clinic partners include the Tennessee Alliance for Legal Services, the Tennessee Supreme Court Access to Justice Initiative, and local bar associations. So I love that story. I love that success story, and I hope they continue to develop that.
0: Yeah, I, you know that made me think back on. I, I can't remember the name. Was it Was it Franklin Law School that mm-hmm. uh, they, they tried to get started in in East Tennessee, which was going to be able to hopefully pump out some lawyers for that area of Appalachia? But uh, I think the the uh, ABA decided they didn't need a cheap law firm in that area so at least somebody's doing some work work mm-hmm. there so um, well my inspiration kind of brings us back from one of our episodes back in August of 2020 with Brenna Devaney on the Law Firm Anti-Racism Alliance, or the, mm-hmm. or the LFAA. That's so right. Brenna, who's with Skadden, and Keisha Mora, who's with Cravath, uh, talk to Thomas Kim from Thomson Reuters and update us on how over 300 law firms are now members of the LFAA. And if wow. I think there were like 240 when when we Uh talked to her. So they've they've gone up a bit. There's a lot more volunteer work going on within uh, the LFAA and there are over a thousand lawyers working with the association to promote their mission. So it's important organizations like this that are still showing progress as we get further and further away from the momentum that we all felt after the George Floyd murder What that created. So Mm -hmm. go check out the interview. And uh, if you are in one of those law firms that are part of the law firm anti-racism alliance, you know, reach out to those in your firm and find out what they're doing. And if it's important to you, see if you can also volunteer.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. And that wraps up this week's Information Inspirations. Today's guest spent over 13 years at Microsoft, but a few years ago, she decided to hang out her own shingle as a legal operations consultant, where she advises in-house and outside counsel on how to truly find ways to innovate so that both sides benefit.
1: We'd like to welcome Lucy Basley, founder and principal of Inno Law Group, as well as legal strategy advisor for Law Geeks. Lucy,
2: welcome to The Geek & Review. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's great to have you on. Uh, We were talking right before we got on that... uh we we kind of almost crossed paths in in Houston, and that uh, and and our big takeaway was you you don't come to Houston to lose weight. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank God I wasn't there during COVID. That's all I can say. It was bad yeah. enough here in the chilly Northwest. I would have exploded that so down true. there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Lucy, you have a, just a fantastic and story background uh, as assistant general counsel at Microsoft. Consultant at NextLaw and an advisor at LawGeeks, you know, and then while kind of simultaneously putting out your own shingle, so to speak, at, uh, in a law. So what does it take to make these sorts of transition and what does it, you know, specifically does it take to step out on your own?
2: A swift kick in the butt. Uh, You know, it's a, you know, look, everything happens for a reason. Changes come your way when you may or may not be expecting them. Life's short and the work has to be fun. Uh, I had my dream job at a dream company, still only have the best things to say about the experience I had, you know, 13 plus years at at Microsoft where I grew and learned and experimented and really got to find my way, to be honest, and, and discovered. I was doing cool stuff before. Before it was cool. Of course, I've said contracting is sexy for twenty years, and now look at everybody talking about contracting. But we'll get to that in a minute. So it was a you know it was a combination of things. A lot of interesting opportunities were calling me. No one though that I felt okay taking on, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna do a little bit of everything and only do what I love and only with people I like. And uh, that's been my mantra. That's been my mantra. I gotta say, it's uh it's delightful. So yeah, it's it, it, look. I've been called brave. Um, I say crazy, but I'll take brave. Um, and so far, knock on wood, it's been an amazing, amazing ride.
1: So in your spare time, you've authored a book, CLM Simplified. In it, you ask attorneys to take the pledge to stop calling allied legal professionals non-lawyers. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. <laughs> uh, this is a popular term. So tell us why you're asking for an end to this
2: reference. So, you know, and to be honest, that's a that's second book I wrote. So I've made this pledge twice or this plead, you know, twice begging uh, for us to stop. So My f- first book I wrote was Simple Guide to Legal Innovation, which was really a way for me to just... Beg lawyers, mostly law firms, to 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 do things a little differently, just to to experiment and and kind of step out of their comfort zone. And the second book uh, was really focused around specifically contracting or you know CLM contract lifecycle management. You don't have to look far and wide to see that buzz uh, buzz phrase now absolutely everywhere in the last eighteen months. But the common theory in, in both of those, um, anything about innovation, really anything about everything we do, is it comes down to the people. It comes down to the people. And some of the most amazing, supportive, hopeful, insightful, uh, intelligent people I've worked with, they weren't my lawyer buddies necessarily. And I learned so much. There was no way I could be even close to being called innovative without the help of program managers, operations managers, business analysts, data analysts, and, and the list goes on and on. And this whole us or not us concept of lawyers... It just makes me uncomfortable. I feel awkward. It feels weird. Uh, when people would go into a meeting and go, well, I'm not a lawyer, but I mean, that disclaimer, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just weird. And somehow we're all okay with it. And, and I'm you don't not really
1: see it <laughs> in other professions, you know?
2: No. And we all talk about the job. I don't go in saying I'm a non lawyer, uh, don, you know, non doctor. I'm not i I'm a non engineer. We all have now gone down that little jokey path because right. it's, it's, it's easy, but it's a, where we are is a little offensive because we all work in the same thing, in the same thing. First of all, let's call it an industry. Let's stop calling it a profession. We, yes, we're professionals, but so are program managers and business analysts and you name it. But we work in an industry, which is a combination of different types of skill sets and professions coming together. So like we said, we have limited time or else this will be the entire podcast. But yeah, it's uh, it's just it's critical and, and lawyers are silly for not embracing all these other incredible skill sets that are around them. It's just yeah. – Well, just I
1: do like what you're doing because, again, there's people in these these jobs that are attorneys, but they're not practicing attorneys, so it, it's a little awkward there too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Good point. I, you're
2: exactly right.
0: But I did like how you also pointed out that it's not all 100% on the lawyer side, uh, that some of us kind of fall into that trap as well to as as almost a defensive me- mechanism. But, but you're conditioned that, that way.
2: You're conditioned yeah. that way. It's by no means did you come out of college or whatever. You're in your career. You weren't educated that way. You weren't trained yeah. that way. It is what, true. What's your profession?
0: Oh, I'm a non-lawyer. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it, it's, you're kind of just kind of made to feel, you know, you, you're outside that little club, and it's yeah.
1: I don't want to be a non anything. Exactly. <laughs> you know?
2: Exactly.
1: So, Lucy, you're a commercial transaction lawyer. Um, what, what what is it about contracting that you think is so sexy?
2: So here's the thing. I can negotiate the inside of a document till I'm blue in the face, and I have. I've done enough of them to know where that little dance goes every single time at this point. Yes, they're still gonna be your fun, exciting ones, but those are sadly few and far between. And most commercial contracts lawyers, we spend our time renegotiating similar concepts over and over and over again. What I find sexy is when you can do it faster, you can do it more efficiently, when you can get to that end business goal, which is really what a contract should be all about uh, quicker. And I think lawyers, you know, we're we're trained to look for every possible thing that can go wrong in a contract. And so we draft words and to protect and prevent every possible thing from going wrong. And we've heard the old adage, contracts are written by lawyers for lawyers. That is largely true. And that is another Terrible outcome of the the, the profession, uh, right? The legal profession. I say that is a problem. So the sexiest thing I find is really all the how, not the what. The what are the words inside the four corners, so to speak. Those of us who went to law school, the four corners of the document. We, we all heard that before. But guess what's cooler to me is how do I move those four corners super fast <laughs> through a very complex corporate entity, whether it is a 500 person company or a 100,000 person company? It's the same problems over and over again. So I just love the uh, potential to make it faster, better, easier, smarter, more efficient, uh, operationalize it, obviously automation. So that's really, I think, to me, the cool part. Yes, every once in a while, a nice gnarly negotiation gets your juices flowing and you flex your muscles and you feel good. But those aren't every day. Every day is exhausting, <laughs> like a deluge of contracts coming at you. Um, there's got to be a better way. So I love finding the better
0: way. <laughs> oh all I could hear in my head was a was a version of the Kenny Chesney She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy song that it converted <laughs> over into contracts. <laughs> How so, long, <laughs> Texas, How long too,
2: have you been in Texas, Craig? Apparently too apparently too long. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <There you go. laughs> well, You know, selling innovation to clients, that innovation is becoming an ongoing requirement and and you just can't sell what what you just don't understand. So how is it that the billable hour impedes attorneys' ability to learn and tell the story, you know, that that need to look up from your desk and and see those trends that, that are happening?
2: No, oh my God! Just hand me the soapbox, Greg. Why don't you? <laughs> you um, got it. It's
0: all the floor is yours.
2: It's uh, be careful what you say. It's, um, so, first of all, that you can't sell what you don't know. I, 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 you know, I've said that a million times, and I didn't know you were saying it at the same time. But we're we're clearly on the exact same page. You really can't. And so that's one of the biggest challenges I see with law firms. So part of the work when I kind of first went out of Microsoft, I was splitting my brain in two places. One was really thinking about how do I work with law firms and and had some really interesting and great exciting engagements around innovation, you know, at law firms. Um, And then how do I work with corporate law departments? And those are, they're just different beasts, completely different beasts. Um, You know, on the law firm side, this, um, this rush to selling innovation is nice because it's, it's, it's reactive to what clients are asking for. Number one, clients don't always know what to ask for, so it's easy to throw out this just big open-ended, tell us about your innovation strategy. It's in every single RFP today. I will guarantee you and bet that the responses are mostly useless. They're high-level, there, words are correct. <laughs> some pictures, some graphs might be useful. It does nothing for the person who's deciding on the RFP. I will say that, just, right. let's just take that as a, as, experience and, and, and I've seen it enough to know that. So we're in a little odd place right now with innovation when it comes to law firms, because there is an interest, there's a desire, there's there's an understood need, but there is a disconnect between the language uh, and, and the needs actually of the client uh, and what the firm is hearing and, and responding to. Um, some firms are doing really a uh, concerted effort to try to bridge that gap but there's no magic answer and each one's doing it a little bit differently going at it a little bit of a different way uh these various innovation roles are 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 kind of forming and storming and reforming and redefining so we're in very much a transformative time right now but to the spiciest part of your question the the root of all evil of innovation and and the the let's say the blocker to innovation it is the billable hour it is 100% the, the business model of the law firm. It just is, there's nothing about it that you can't point to to say, yeah, that's another reason that uh, that innovation just can't happen because what is innovation? It's just creativity, it's just modernizing, it's just doing things. I'm gonna make it even simpler, frankly. That's what I focused on my first book is really simplifying innovation is, hey, if you do anything a little bit faster or a little bit better, Today than you did yesterday, that makes for a better experience either for you, the practicing lawyer, or for your clients. Then I'm going to call that innovation. Can we can we lower the bar? Because we also have frightened so many lawyers out of the concept of innovation that it's it's a bit of a no win right now. The bar is pretty high. You got to be in this oh little club of AI techie <laughs> brainy little echo chamber we all have going. We all swim in the same pond. Hey, I'm in it. I I get it. But the regular practicing lawyer that's out there watching their billable hours tick, tick, tick every day, they have no time. They have no time to understand it. They have no time to get involved. They don't think they they belong. They don't have a home. They're not welcomed necessarily. So it's easier to just look away and hope it goes away. Meanwhile, inside their firm, they also have a little group of people who swim in their pond inside the firm. And they're the innovation team, knowledge management, operations, put in all the words, that are, that are synonymous for operationalizing how the law department, you know, uh, sorry, how the law firm runs. The practicing lawyers, again, don't feel connected to that. They don't know what to do with that. They don't know. My favorite quote, can I just, my favorite, favorite quote. Please. Global, big, ginormous firm everybody knows. Practice group leader, global practice group leader, a brilliant person by all accounts and measures, a Texan, by the way, but that's all I'm going to say. Uh, she's an uh, incredible um, Quotes to me. Lucy, we've got these great innovation guys, and some of them are even sitting down the hall, but I don't know what they do. It continues. My clients keep squawking about this, but I really just don't know what to do. I, 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 that said it all for me. Mm-hmm. This is a firm with enormous resources that's trying in every possible way to do the right thing. The clients are asking for it, and then here you have a very impactful, very successful, resourceful practice group lead doesn't know where to start. So something's broken and wrong because at the end of the day, how's that person being compensated? The hours.
0: Yeah. That, well, that's
2: the reality of it.
0: And, and that's been something that we've talked about for a dozen plus years now, yeah. ever since yeah. the, the, the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that we've heard over and over and over again is that the law firms are working toward being innovative, but they're waiting for the client to give them direction on it.
1: And the clients don't want it. Like they're much more comfortable getting ten percent off the top than right. than actually looking at more innovative ways of billing. Yes. So, so if I'm
0: if I'm the client, how do I get that partner to make that journey down the hallway and get to understand better what what the innovators are doing?
2: Yeah. So, so here's the the thing: is it was really easy for several years to bash the firms, and everybody did it, and it was just easy and. No, it, it, but it was useless, and it wasn't based on really much insight because the firms are killing themselves but it, trying. But it was fun. But it was fun. <laughs> and it makes for great social media nonsense, which is another whole thing <laughs> that's going on right now. But okay. Um, what I think you have is at the micro level, the partner-to-law firm to the um, engagement lead in-house, a mismatch. And if there isn't a match, it just won't work. I don't care how innovative a firm is, because innovating across 300, 500, or 1,000 lawyers, that's just silly. can't be an innovative firm. You're still a bunch of individuals and a bunch of teeny tiny little businesses that are working under an umbrella. Mm. In-house, remember, lawyers all come from law firms. All. Most. Most in-house lawyers have transitioned from a law firm. So they come in buying what they knew how to sell. Right. There's no magic transformation that happens. People forget that. Once you come in-house, you are not by definition innovative now. You are just buying what you used to sell. Now, often the pressures of the workload, the volume, and the beast of the business forces creativity and innovation and efficiencies, which is completely contrary to that beautiful billable hour model. Those are the gems, right? They, they get it. They start having to find a way to do different things. That individual needs to find the right individual inside the law firm and then pursue it. And then that individual inside the law firm can leverage those innovation teams, can leverage all those amazing resources and investments that are being made, sadly, fruitlessly sometimes because they're trying to push to a whole firm, you know, ideas and and new ways of thinking when really you need to find the one or two who get it and who have a match at their client. Because I will say, I've come around to now going, hey, it takes two to tango. Let's stop bashing the firms generically and let's talk to those farms who say, "Hey, my clients don't want it." Marlene, you're 100% spot on, and I hear it all the time. "I'm fine with a discount." And I'm consulting with these corporate law departments going, "No, no, no. No, don't say that out loud. What's wrong with you?" Right? But then <laughs> but they don't but they but they can't comprehend that instead of a discount, how about you ask for Project management without a build line item. How about you ask for monthly reporting, data insights, right? We've all learned that, well, now we get some, you know, CLEs. Yes, that was 1980s version of value added. (laughs) Fine. But there's, the the education is being missed somehow. The the people aren't talking, you know, the right people aren't talking to the right people yet. And that's that next layer that has to happen until the billable, until the business model changes the, the law firm, until it operates like a business it still has to be the one-to-one, the partner to their main client contact. And if those two aren't aligned, it just magic's not going to happen. Can I go
1: back to your comment about the RFPs? Um, mm. Are there any points you can offer that would make the response more useful?
2: Yes. Um, I mean, you're hitting on such a perfect point because I – time – I'm in the middle of right now of a client engagement where I saw a draft RFP right before it was going to go out to a, uh, to help select a panel. I couldn't make sense of it. And I was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this with any more real, just not being flippant. I don't know what you hope to get besides some sort of a yellow pages response. I, I, I don't know what you're going to get from this. It was so long and it was so high level. I want to know everything about everything you do all over the globe and how you're going to do it and who's going to do it and why I should be happy about you doing it. But that took about over a dozen pages to ask. And it's going to go out to over two dozen firms. And I said, please stop the madness. Because, <laughs> um, again, you kind of read the words and you're like, okay, well, Sure. You can put that out there, but we know what you're going to get back. It'll be pretty. It'll be glossy. I have a bunch of headshots. I frankly, sorry, a lot of dudes that still look the same and maybe a few others thrown in for the mix. It's annoying. It's a little offensive <laughs> on both sides. Um, so my best recommendation is to be more precise and focused. Frankly, right now, still by practice area, still how law firms are structured so let's look at experts inside of law firms. Let's look at capabilities within particular practice areas, especially in the specialized, in the specialties, let's say, whether you're employment counsel, if you're going to be IP counsel, let's, those are specialties. On the other side of the spectrum, if you're like, Hey, I just need help, an extension of my law department. You know, we're kind of small. We're pretty agile. We, j- we just need some smart external lawyers, like com- com- commercial lawyers, general business-y types of lawyers. Then reframe your RFP with that. Be open about what it is you seek and be a little bit more prescriptive with what you want to get back. Um, and, and then that becomes a fine balance too. Cause I have seen also the 45 page RFPs with the table that they want, you know, law firms to fit into. And, and then it, it becomes also, you can go on the other end, but I would just offer to let's, let's move away from the big broad attempts. And let's focus on your highest needs as um, precisely as you can around the practice groups. Cause you know, still that's how law firms are structured. So why not, not pretend <laughs> that they're going to put a, a, a multidisciplinary team across four completely different practice groups in seven different geographies as a team. It's just too hard. They, they just, they're just not built that way. So you can ask mm-hmm. for it, but it's kind of, I don't know. You're not going to ask me for my best high jump number. I can't even (laughs) jump off the ground three years. You better not
1: ask me for my best high jump number either. (laughs) Right? Like you got to know your,
2: you got to know your service provider. So I would say, you know, just be more precise, more specific. It would be great. (laughs) Excellent. And scoped, right? Because again, the specificity on, I want 30 firms to answer everything about everything. And then here's the detail within which I want you to answer it. That's not what I mean. I mean, scope, like hone in on your top, pain points.
1: That's good advice. It's
2: my two cents.
1: You say looking into client data is Mm. a good place to start in terms of innovation. Do you find that there is a hesitancy to delve into this data for fear it will jeopardize the relationship?
2: Well, that's a spicy leading the witness question. (laughs) Yeah. It is a little leading. (laughs) (laughs) It is a little leading. Well, of course. Look, data at the end of the day doesn't lie. It can be spun let's be clear. (laughs) You you can spin data um, and really bright people do it really well. Uh, But right now, there's such a complete even um, unawareness by, again, I'm talking about your regular practicing lawyer, the one who's got their 1800 or 2000 hour target to fill. They're good. They're experienced. They're maybe in your fifth plus years of associate all the way through to your, you know, 10 plus year partner kind of bucket. That core group of people are probably largely completely unaware of even what data they have available to them. They're probably even unaware that the work that they do is, is susceptible to being analyzed with data, right? They're, they're still perceived as the quality advisor, you know, the, the, the professional whose work can't be quantified. And, and so there's, there's a long journey to even educate on the fact that you actually have data available at your fingertips if you want it. Well, not at your fingertips. Firms aren't great at uh, collating their data, but they do have it. It's just unstructured. Um, but I think that those, those, again, those practicing lawyers really need to be educated. So before they're even capable of fearing what it might disclose, which is where your question was, I'm not sure they're even aware that what they do is a type of data or can be a type of data. Now, once they figure that out, (laughs) uh, depending on, you know, the practice and how they've been working, sure. I mean, who wants to find that they've been, you know, staffing projects repeatedly for the same client on similar engagements with the same four people, and yet there have been no efficiencies or learnings gained or insights even shared with the client? That's not great. But guess what? That is exactly what happened year over year over year. So, yeah, some of that data is going to be a little telling. Um, but first, they they have to just be educated that there's even data available. And what kind? Operational data, substantive insights, lots of different types of data that you can um, start with.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let me flip that around. What what about on the in-house side? Mm. What are you seeing or advising for in-house legal departments to either start collecting internally of their own data or start asking specifically f- from their outside counsel for data to give them better insights on on how well they're serviced or how well they they run the department.
2: Sure. So, you know, two so I'm a commercial transactions lawyer, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a kind of an easy example because every single company has contracts. That's why I like to this this one everybody can can relate to, but you can also apply to any other areas where you have recurring, ongoing, kind of volume-based work, whether it's you know, patent applications, visa applications in an employment group, um, complaints, claims, you know, whatever. But everybody has contracts uh, and everybody spends money on outside counsel. So these are my favorite two examples of data. And with corporate law departments, this is usually where we start. When I'm asked for, hey, I need a data strategy, where, where do I start? What should I even be collecting? Um, well, let's collect some information about the money you spend. That, that's that's the basics. And that is usually a very easy black and white place to start because money is leaving the company and money is going to law firms. That's the only base assumption you can make with any corporate law departments. Nothing more than that. They're spending and they're spending on firms. How much, what kind, what type, how often, how is it staffed? All that then is, uh, is gravy to learn. So the basic place on the spend side, I would say, um, is getting your firms to respond back with monthly reporting. I don't just want to wait for an invoice to come. A, God knows when it comes. B, I'm not going to look through 700 line items of 0.2, 0.3, 0.1, 0.4. Oh, and 7 cents for copies and 10 cents for this. It, it's, um, it's so offensive to get that. It is such a waste of time to have to look at it. Stop. So I just can't say it enough. Stop. I'm not, I'm I'm not sure. I'm
0: not sure. I'm getting the feeling your feelings <laughs> for this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is the beauty of being an independent. I may mean, lose a few more friends, but it can't affect my job. Um, so, so that. It's just not useful, but that'll continue. Fine. Who cares? that 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 is going to keep going. But proactively, corporate law departments need to say, if you want my business, on a monthly basis, I need you to provide me a report in a different format than your invoice. And in the report, here's what I want. And start small. Everybody gets excited about data because then they want it all. Once you get a taste, I would say it's like crack. It's like innovation crack. A little bit of data. And they're like, oh, my God. I want more, more, more. And we're like, well, you're going to overdose because you're not going to know what to do with it. You're just going to annoy your partners you know, at the firms. Get what will be useful for you. So start with three or four data points and ask for that reporting to come from the law firms. They can do that. And they don't, they're just not asked often enough. They're actually very rarely asked. So that's, that's one type of data. Then diving in deeper on a particular practice area, commercial contracts, that overflow work. Again, contracting with any law department, it's like a little tidal wave that just keeps... Coming back at you. It just doesn't stop. The business is yelling. It's never fast enough. Um, legal's always the problem. It's, it's just a, the common themes. Um, so we got to send stuff to law firms. You could send it to them Friday at 5 p.m. And you know, Monday night, 8 a.m., it'll be done. And, and law firms make a nice annuity type of business over ongoing commercial contracting work. Ton of data in that. All I want every law firm to tell me every month, how many contracts did I send you? What kind did I send you and how long did it take you to turn around the first first draft, the first review, that, that first piece of work to me? That's it. Right now, very few can answer that question. Very few law departments can answer how many, what type, and how long. And those are the only three questions you need to get started. To get from zero information to useful information, you can then report back even to your C-suite. And you're asking for more resources when you're justifying those legal bills. How do you ask for all of it without any data? Right. You know? Decades of it depends. We've trained people really well to accept it depends. Well, that's not working anymore.
0: Yeah. How much is it going to cost? Well, it depends.
2: It depends. Yeah. No, no. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I like that. But before we get into our our last question, I I want to uh, – pull in one that that's not on the list here and that is as as I was prepping for this I noticed that your LinkedIn account is almost like a quasi blog for you it seems like it's a it's a good place for you to kind of and you can kind of tell what what is on your mind on that day. And I think today's was uh, was uh, installing CLMs is, is not an easy task. Do you use like LinkedIn or other social media almost as as kind of a sounding board? Um, or, or you know, this, this is my thought for today. And I want to get it out there and see what people have to have to say.
2: So, you know, that's, a, it's such a good question. So I have, um, I have a bit of a schizophrenia when it comes to LinkedIn, dual personalities, because on the one hand, uh, I'm a small business owner and LinkedIn is my only real face to the world. Of course, I have a website and we have two websites. Um, but, but really it's my, it's kind of my face to the world and, and I, I'm not nearly as uh, mindful and and uh, intentional as I should be when it comes to thinking about it as kind of that business marketing vehicle. So that's one just self-reflection, you know, as as my business grows. And, I, and a lot of people, I find themselves here, especially these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, LinkedIn um, is the only social media world I really live in. I have a a Twitter, but Thing. But again, as I always call it at home, we're like, uh, oh, this whole Insta book face thing is not for me. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by it. Um, but LinkedIn has become the home I embraced. Yeah. Um, some of it is it's- Well,
0: it's also owned business. by a company you, you are familiar I with. I can't
2: help it. I always <laughs> confess it. Look, if we had video on, you know, you guys can see, nobody else can. I'm the only one who owns a Microsoft Duo phone um, and it, I can't help it. I don't get paid by them anymore, but I I, I love their product. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn, you know, I embraced it when it became part of Microsoft. I always ate our dog food and and I kind of stuck with it. I do uh, now, you know, yeah, it is a bit of like my, my. I'm not a blogger. I don't have a blog on my own website, but it is my um, bit of my stream of consciousness, top of mind. I do really commit to it always being professional topics. Uh, once in a while, I'll sneak in a picture of my dog, but I'll always find some legal tech angle to to bring her in. That's the only caveat I have. Otherwise, it really has to be, um, it has to be on point. And I will say one thing, and I want you to catch me on it. If you ever find me not doing it, is it has to be something useful in there. There there has to be a nugget that anybody who reads it isn't seeing me just what I see a lot of others doing, which is hey, apple pie's delicious. Yes, and 700 people like it. Well, that's true. That's good. You know, and in our community, it's it's uh, lawyers really need to adapt to change. Yes, that's, we all agree violently, but um, I'm finding a lot of that, that noise. So I hope substantive content doesn't get lost and I'm doing my very best to make sure, whether it's my post on my personal page or on our business page, it's, it has to be substantive. Um, so I hope... I hope I'm meeting I'm that bar, <laughs> uh, but yeah. it's it's tough. It's tough to know how to play in that space. It's very and, new. And, and uh,
0: just out of curiosity, are you are you getting feedback, or is, or are you putting it out there and and just kind of you letting know, it sit?
2: You know, gosh, there's again, there's so much out there on like how to use LinkedIn and the algorithm and all that. I found that um, a, a little overwhelming and and anxiety driven uh, to me. So so I kind of stopped thinking about that. I've noticed the feedback I get, frankly, from my either prospective clients um, or kind of former peer group. I'm really interested in what the in-house legal legal departments are thinking. And those people don't tend to chime in, but okay. they reach out to me. And that's what's gotcha. interesting. Okay. Two, two days ago, I had the best one. Um, I got a note on LinkedIn. I don't comment often, but I want you to know how valuable your content is. I shared it with my team. And then I said, see, this goes to show it's not just the the numbers because some people don't engage, but they're absorbing it. And that's been really rewarding. Um, so at the same time, I'm watching the numbers and, you know, we want things to grow and we want the trend to look good, but I don't expect to go viral. I will not be doing a TikTok, for example. <laughs> I love TikTok and my teenagers love it. And that's where they should be living. That's great. I don't think, it, I don't yeah, think it's as, as my, my teenagers I get myself to on. sleep
0: every night, watch, watch a few of those and <laughs> yeah. it goes off.
2: Hey, it's got a home. It's got a home. I just don't think it's my professional home. Um but it's it, it's entertaining, and I think it's a question of figuring out who do you want to be on LinkedIn? What is your purpose? What is your brand? I have love-hate feelings about it, but, it, you know, who are you?
1: <laughs> okay, well, as Greg had hinted, it, it is now time for the crystal ball question.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we ask you, as we ask uh, other other folks on the podcast, to pull out your crystal ball and look into the future for us. And I think you're well-suited for this. So, you know, as we finally get to the other side of this pandemic— and the industry finds its new bearings. Um, what are some of the permanent changes that you see in the next five years or more?
2: I mean, obviously, the whole nature of remote work is a gimme. That's easy. Um, it's never going to go back to how it was before. So we are all going to be living in a different hybrid world. The hybrid's going to look different. Industry, company culture, person—you know—personalities evolving and and. Um, Uh, age, uh, generation change, right? All of that's going to come together and for sure things will never look the way they were before. And I think a lot of us are not so quietly anymore grateful. A a lot of people are really just coming out and saying, yeah, that's good. Let's keep the good stuff um, and and go back to the stuff that was good before. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how things evolve and realizing there's not going to be a magic date at which a switch will be flipped. So I love that. That is definitely forcing a lot of um introspective thinking amongst the legal community law firms by far were hit the hardest in terms of the emotional professional uh changes that people are feeling and and i see it with my peers you know law firm partners my peer group going oh my god they're they're confessing in sil- secretly still this has been amazing i really don't want to go back to the office right they're afraid and these are partner level people like you 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 can decide to change your firm. You are the deciders as a community. So that that will change. I I am hoping to see some more vocal push from the junior partner world, especially from the women and other diverse partners. But I'm still going to say especially for the women who just, nothing's changing. Let's all just say it how it is. Nothing is changing decade after decade. I don't want to hear another coaching session about using my big girl voice. I don't want to be told that maybe I should learn to smoke a cigar and hang out with the dudes. Done. Innovation is going to be the key for women. You heard it here. I've said it before. The intersection between women, legal and innovation is going to be the only way we're going to finally get our seat because we're just going to learn to do things better, more efficiently. The guys should listen too. I hope every lawyer is going to be innovative, but you know what? If we need to get ahead, just innovate, and, and and you will. So that's my my crystal ball for for actually how diversity and inclusion will finally be impacted. I think will be through the innovations in legal practice, and I hope hope I'm right on that. I'm going to switch a little bit to in house, and I'm going to go yes. to my favorite favorite topic uh, topic on the crystal ball of um, CLM. Right. The amount of money that's flown in there in the last 18 months is unreal, mm-hmm. unheard of. VC funding causes, let's call them interesting behaviors in the market. So, uh, it's fun to talk about the rise in legal tech and investments. And I get asked this all the time. And what do I think? And there's a frenzy right now that is unhealthy. And it is driving some pretty poor behaviors, both on the tech provider side, Um, And these poor purchasers, the in-house corporate law departments, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, is causing fast purchasing decisions, lots of disappointments, and money just being thrown down the drain. On the tech side, of course, the race to revenue. That is what VC funding, with all due respect, is about. It is a race to revenue. So my crystal ball says five years from now, the landscape's going to look completely different. We're going to not be in a place where we have, I'm going to say, 35 plus core CLM system providers another 35 plus CLM adjacent providers, all of which are confused of what they actually do, who they actually are, what they should be serving. They're selling though everything to everyone. That's going to change. There will be a um, kind of a who's left standing. There will be acquisitions. There will be mergers. There will be big conglomerates that are going to be buying out chunks, which is, which has already started. The big four are gonna play a very different role in the CLM advisory space. They're trying to already. Uh, and we're gonna develop some real, I hope, experts. There's few, I'm gonna say of us, I'm gonna just give myself that. Um, there, there are a few of us out there who can really intersect between legal and operations. True legal operations. Not the operation of a law department with the right infrastructural systems and tools or a law firm with infrastructural systems and tools. I mean the operationalization <laughs> of legal work. a commercial contract is one of those few places where we're talking about that, that intersection. So five years from now, I think it's going to look completely different. And I hope, I hope there will be some clarity, industry leaders and fit for purpose leaders. Um, that's my, my crystal ball. And hope.
0: <laughs> well, it, it sounded less like a crystal ball and more, more almost like a a time portal that you've just stepped back into and <laughs> are now telling us what what has happened. So I I, I feel very confident in uh, your your predictions there.
2: I hope so. I hope so. It's a, it's a, we're in we're in an interesting spot right now. So I'm just glad everybody else is realizing contracting's so sexy. See, everybody wants to dance now. <laughs>
1: Everybody wants to get in on it. Yep, it's a good thing. And,
0: and once again, the the Kenny Chesney song comes back in.
2: So. let <laughs> continue.
0: Well, with that, Lucy Basley, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us and and giving us your your insights. This has been just fantastic.
1: We mm-hmm. very very much appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. My pleasure. All my favorite topics. I really appreciate the time from you guys. Thank you.
1: Well, I don't
0: think you ever have to ask Lucy exactly where she stands on, on an issue. can do you? It's, uh, that, nope. that, was, that was great. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. I learned so much. Um, and you know, and some of it is things, again, we've talked about, but hearing other people that are actually out there advising in-house counsel outside council on what to do and, and it just makes sense. You know she makes it make sense. So that, that was really insightful.
1: Yeah, I really liked our discussion about RFPs. I found that extraordinarily helpful. I mean, just you know, from from my own perspective in terms of of answering things like that, uh, I I love her insights about the billable hour and and again how it's it's the responsibility of both sides to make this work um, rather than just saying you know it's just kind of easier to sort of just let it slide that okay we're you know really if we put some effort into this we will be in a better place in the future and. Love the the insights about uh, you know where we are with investment with yeah. the CLM um, you know and sort of the behavior that's happening you know as a result and I agree with her I mean I think everything's gonna consolidate a bit um, but, but right now we're still a little bit Wild West so um, departments and firms have I, to be careful. I
0: thought the thing that may have raised the 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 hairs on the back of uh, everyone's neck was. She was saying that the the big four are going to play a a major role in in the CLMs, and that totally makes sense. So,
1: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and like and, and and I mean, like she said, they yeah. they're already they've been yeah. working on that. So I mean, that is not yeah that, new. Um, that's, that is that's true. happening. And, and of
0: course, you know, my absolute favorite part was. She thinks my contract's sexy.
1: <laughs>
0: all right. With that, roll, roll well us done. out, done.
1: <laughs> ap- ap- apologies to Kenny Chesney. <laughs> but,
0: but thanks again to, to Lucy Basley from Law Group uh, for taking the time to talk with us today. This, this has been fun, and I apologize for my singing.
1: And thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen to the Geek & Review podcast. If you enjoy the show, share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on social media. I can be found at Gabeauer M on Twitter.
0: And I'm going to be launching my new SoundCloud account with all of my country songs. But uh, until then, you can catch me at Glambert on Twitter.
1: Yeah, tune in to that. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Geek & Review hotline at 713-487-7270. And if you get tired of Greg's music, you can listen to the music here at the Geek & Review. Uh-oh. And that's from Jerry David DeSica. Thank you, Jerry.
0: Thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, I will uh, see you in the recording booth.
1: Okay, ciao.